Well, Dave and I had one more wrestling match. My scrappiness won again. So I get to preach one more time uh, to you, uh, my people. I'm just kidding. Dave and I didn't actually wrestle. But if we did, I am scrappy. Um, But actually, Dave asked me uh, to preach uh, one more time. I was thankful for that, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to do that. And he asked me to think about what would I want to say? What would I want to say to you, my people, uh, as we transition, as we part to go uh, to a new work? And uh, this semester in our youth small groups, we've been going through the book of Philippians together. And as I've been reading the book of Philippians and taking it in and discussing it with our students and everything, Um, I've realized that there's so much about Paul's letter to the church at Philippi that describes how I feel about you all. Um, So this morning, what I want to do is I want to take a look at Philippians 2, uh, verses 1 through uh, 11, and share with you uh, this passage and and what Paul is saying in this passage as we process uh, transition, as our family processes transition, as, as you, our people process transition, and as we kind of do that uh, together. So we're going to take a look at the first 11 verses of Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and this is is God's word uh, for us, beloved. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant." Being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father." Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and uh, we know that your word uh, speaks to the deepest parts of ourselves, of our hearts, of our minds, of our bodies. And we are confident that you uh, are meeting here with us this morning, that you've called us here to look at your word, to be encouraged by your word, to be challenged by your word, that we would see our Savior. And this morning, we pray that you would press more and more deeply into us, our Jesus, the one who came and served us by giving his life as a ransom for us, that every tribe, tongue, and nation would know that you are Lord Jesus. And so we pray that that confession would be on our lips this morning, and that Holy Spirit, you would work that deeper and deeper into our hearts. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Um, In 2009, in January of 2009, uh, Carrie and I, uh, pregnant with Lucy, we packed up everything that we owned and we moved out to St. Louis, Missouri. And we, when we drove into St. Louis, into the little duplex area that the seminary had, 
Um, it, was the, it was the coldest day of the year on, on record. It ended up being that at the time. We didn't know it was going to be that, but it ended up being that. And I, and I think, as a matter of fact, with the wind chill and everything, it was about negative seven degrees outside. And so we roll up into, into St. Louis in this U-Haul with all of our belongings and everything, and we pull it into this little parking lot where there's a bunch of duplexes there, and we pull in, and it was like the masses began to descend on us in that U-Haul truck. And we opened that U-Haul truck, and within less than 20 minutes, all of our stuff was out and was in our house. Some five years later, we would do the same thing, and we would come, we would move to Greenville, North Carolina, pack up everything that we owned and put it in a truck, and come here, and we would get here, and we would open the back of that truck, and the masses of Christ's prayers would descend upon us and help us by moving in our stuff. People we never met before. We didn't know. You didn't know us, and, and we didn't know you, and yet... There was something that was tangible between us that already existed that compelled you to want to come and to receive us in that way by being with us and giving yourselves to us. And what is it that compels us to want to give and receive that kind of reception? Well, it's the relationship that we have in Jesus. And Paul, uh, throughout the book of Philippians, is telling this church at Philippi, these people that he loves and they love him, all about the relationship that they share, that we share, that we have in Jesus. And so what I want us to look at this morning is the relationship that we have in Jesus, and I want us to look at three things that build on each other to describe exactly what that's like. So we're going to look at the work of Christ we're going to look at a unified people, and we're going to look at the glory of God in this passage this morning. So, work of Christ, unified people, glory of God, the relationship that we have in Jesus. Just a reminder about this church here at Philippi. We have spent some time talking about these people over this last year. If you remember, the core group that planted the church, that were the first people in the church at Philippi, consisted of a successful businesswoman a demon-possessed girl, and a cop. Like That's the core group uh, at Philippi. You go back to Acts 16, you can see that. Those are the people that make up uh, the core group of this church. This church was a church that wanted to strive to love God, to love people, and to love place. They were so committed to that that they wanted to see other churches in other places doing that. So Philippi became a church that wanted to plant other churches. And so they gave financially of their resources to the Apostle Paul so that churches would be planted in places like Ephesus, Galatia, Thessalonica. And Paul's relationship with this church is a very dear and a very close relationship, an intimate one. And his relationship with his church did not stop with his leaving either. It continued in new and different ways and with new and different layers, but with one singular reference for their relationship and for all of life, Jesus. We've been talking about that in the book of Revelation. We've been taking a look at the throne room the last couple of weeks and talking about how there is one singular reference point for all of life and for our relationships with each other, and that is Jesus, beloved. 
And so Paul spends so much time again and again coming back to the work of Christ throughout this letter. In our passage that we're looking at today, verses 5 through 8 really hammer down the work of Christ that Paul talks about. In verse 5, he really cinches this work in the reality of union with Jesus, that we are one in Christ. That everything that's true of Jesus is true of his people. That everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you and to me, belongs to us. In verse 6, he goes on to describe that Jesus in his humility becomes ours. That being truly God, he became truly man. He subjected himself to the curse that our sin brought on humanity and all of creation. Jesus put himself under the law that he wrote. And he was obedient to everything that the Father asked of him. We are united to him. What's true of him is true of us. Verse 7, Paul goes on and says, Jesus emptied himself to serve, to serve you and to serve me. The creator became the creature to serve his creation. That Jesus left perfection and wholeness and stepped into chaos and brokenness that we created. He became one of us. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus experienced life in all the same ways that we experience life as well too. That he really and truly identifies with you and with me in every conceivable way. That means Jesus knows what it's like to suffer. He's with us in that. Jesus knows and has experienced hurt. He's with you in that. He's with me in that. Jesus knows the hardness of leaving dear friends. And he's with you in that, and he's with me in that. Jesus knows our temptations. He too was tempted. Jesus knows what it's like to struggle with the reality that death exists and to not want it to exist anymore. And Jesus has actually done something about it. He's come and he's given himself that you and I would have life. Verse 8, Paul goes on and says, In his humanity, Jesus was absolutely 100% fully obedient. Everywhere that you and I have failed, everywhere that you and I have brought destruction, everywhere that you and I have rebelled, Jesus has been obedient. Everywhere that you and I have not loved God, loved people, and loved the place where God put us, Jesus has been obedient. He lived a sinless life. His obedience led him to become our sin for us on the cross. We just heard that together. Elsewhere, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, He who knew no sin, Jesus was sinless. He became sin for who? For you and for me, for us. That we would be the righteousness of God. That we would have a right standing before God and that you and I would not have death, but that we would have life. Obedience led Jesus to the cross where justice and mercy kiss. 
Obedience led Jesus to absorb the consequences for our rebellion, even becoming each and every one of our failures, trading his life for ours, uniting us to him in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. And Paul says to us, that produces something. That work of Christ, the finished work of Jesus, it produces something. What it produces is a unified people. Jesus did it, beloved. It's finished. Salvation is accomplished. He didn't just make you and me savable. He actually saved us. And we, by faith, are brought into union with him and all that belongs to him belongs to those who call upon his name and place their faith and hope in him alone for salvation. That means that in Jesus we are a unified people. Paul parses that out for us in verse 2. He says we're a people of the same mind, people of the same love, of one mind. That's the mind of Jesus. Verse 1, Paul says that we are a people of encouragement. We should be a people of encouragement. What that means is speaking kindness and confidence to one another, not tearing each other down. Paul says of us, a unified people in Christ, that we are also a people of comfort from love in verse 1. That means that you and I are with each other, that we live life together. That we're with each other to be comfort for deep sorrows. Not fixing things, but being with, walking through a comforting, hopeful presence just in the way that Jesus is with us. Paul also says in verse 1 that we're a people of affection and sympathy, identifying with each other that we become the hands that touch the hurt and soften the blows that this life has to offer with one another, for one another. Verses 3 and 4, Paul tells us that we are unified in Christ in humility. That we're a people who count others as more significant than ourselves, that we look out for the interests of others. That means that we are people of mercy and generosity, not constantly judging other situations or motives, but living out of a recognition of our own neediness. That's who we are. That's who we are, unified in Christ. And all of this stuff, Paul says in verses 1 and 2, all of this, when you combine and you put all of this together, Paul says that this is our participation in the Spirit together. Being unified in Christ together means that our joy is complete. That's exactly what Jesus does for you and me. Everything that Paul says here, Jesus is the embodiment of that. You think about that, like encouragement, comfort in love, sympathy, affection, unity, humility, thinking of others more than himself. He gave himself to you and to me. He laid down his life 
for us. And really what all this is that Paul is calling us into here is being Christ to each other and being Christ to others. The life that Paul describes is the life that Jesus lived and how he treats each and every one of us. Beloved, we get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to each other. We get to be the hands and feet of Jesus to our neighbors and to our place. And you all have been Christ to me and my family for seven years. And I want to share with you all how you guys have embodied everything that I just said to you. And forgive me if, if I don't make eye contact with you because I really want to try to make it through this. And I'm not sure that I will if I look up. But I'll try. This past week... Carrie and the kids and I spent some time processing how you all have been the hands and feet of Jesus to us, how you have been Christ to us over the course of these past seven years. And so I'm going to read to you some things. It's not exhaustive. We would be here all day if I kept going, and Dave said, I can't do that. So just kidding. He didn't say that. He said we could be here all day if we wanted to, but to share with you how you have been Christ to me and my family. You've loved my children as your own. Your children have befriended mine and shown them the love of Christ that there's always someone to play with, to be with. You have been our family. We've celebrated holidays with you. You've befriended my wife and you've let her be who she is. You've let Carrie and my kids and me be Christians before being your pastor or pastor's kids or a pastor's wife. You've brought meals in times of sickness. You cared for Carrie when she was pregnant with Jane and still trying to keep up with three other kids. You've watched my children. You've befriended my children. You've let them have too much candy. You came to visit us when Jane came into the world. You came to visit us when Judah had surgery on his arm. You came to visit us when Luke had surgery too. You brought treats unannounced numerous, countless times. You brought treats after our boys had their surgeries to soften the blows of the brokenness of the world in their own lives. You celebrated birthdays with us. And you've made us feel like kings and queens with your presence and your delightful, generous hearts to us. You've fixed plumbing and HVAC issues. You've given thoughtful gifts to us for no reason other than that you love us. You've taught and modeled the gospel to my children and to my wife. (laughs) 
You've helped us see our brokenness and our sin. You've pointed us to Jesus over and over again. You have modeled parenting and grace to us and encouraged us in our own parenting. To me, personally, as your pastor, as one of your pastors, as I was doing some research for this sermon this week, I started adding the numbers together and everything, and the Apostle Paul spent roughly three years with the people at Philippi. And so that means that I've spent four more years than the Apostle Paul did with the church at Philippi here at Christ Pres. Here's what you, how you have been the hands and feet of Jesus to me personally. We've confessed our sins and been assured of Christ's finished work together every week for seven years. You've been patient with me. And you've encouraged me in life with Jesus. You have spoken kindness and confidence to me. You've never torn me down. You have counted me more significantly than yourselves. You've looked to my interests time and time again. You've led me to the table with your smiles and your encouragement. And oh, how I've longed to look into your faces and to hold out the bread and the cup and to tell you that this is Christ's body broken for you and his blood shed for you. And I'm so sad that I hadn't been able to do that for over a year. But Jesus is going to serve us all together one day. You've let me hold your babies and baptize them. You've encouraged me in my preaching. You've let me be at your hospital beds and pray with you. You've pushed me to be more deeply in love with Jesus. You have received us with open arms time and time again. And it's okay that we've held on to each other so tightly. We should. We're loving each other the way that Jesus loves us. And even though parting will be so hard, we are so glad that you never kept us at arm's length and that you invited us into your arms. You have completed our joy by being the embodiment of Jesus to us and our hearts are so full because of how much Christ has loved us through you. Words can't express. And here's the thing. you got to continue to be the hands and feet of Jesus too. You need to. You and you will. You need to. Because you're going to have the opportunity to receive another family like you've received mine. You're going to have all kinds of new possibilities to love them as well as you have loved us. You will have their babies to hold. You will have their birthdays to celebrate, their hospital beds to visit, meals that you will make to bring comfort of love to them. You will have patience to exercise and encouragement to give. 
So you have to keep being the hands and feet of Jesus, and you will. And to this place, you have to keep being the hands and feet of Jesus. To Pitt County, to Greenville, to Winterville. Like, be excited about the gospel and bringing it to bear for the flourishing of this place and this community. It's an exciting time with exciting opportunities to move forward, to form partnerships, to see the kingdom of God grow in Pitt County. And coming out of this pandemic, you will have opportunities to speak of the hope that you have in Jesus to your neighbors. There is so much to be excited about in God's working here. And we are reminded that He is at work in everything. That as Dave has been saying the last two weeks, the unseen realities of the throne room give us the framework for understanding the reality of our lives. Keep being the hands and feet of the gospel to this place. And if you're here and you're exploring Christianity, you're not sure what to make out of it, you've got a lot of questions, here's what I want you to know. You're not hearing all of this by accident. You're exploring for a reason. You have questions for a reason. There's something that's compelling you towards something that is bigger than just yourself. You're looking for answers of some sort about meaning of life and purpose in life and why is everything so messed up and not the way that it's supposed to be and broken and fractured and lonely. You're wondering, is there hope for justice? Is there hope for wholeness? Is there hope for mercy and love and comfort and humility and generosity? And here's what I want you to know. What the Apostle Paul is showing us here and what I have learned in being here for the last seven years, there is nothing that offers better resources for those things than Christianity, than the message of Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you're exploring, continue to investigate. Continue to ask questions. Come, be a part of something bigger than yourself. Be willing to struggle with this body, these people, this place. Hear about how Jesus has changed everything. You will be loved. You will be encouraged. You will be comforted. You will hear the good news of Jesus. You will have space for your questions. You will have space to investigate. And you need to come and you need to do that in the kind of body that will love you in the way that this body has loved me and my family. So come. Be a part of it. Jesus produces a unified people. And we participate together in the gospel. And we participate with an ultimate vision that we look to. And that's where Paul lands things here in verses 9 and 10. You see, in verses 9 and 10, Paul gives us a precursor to the vision that John receives from Jesus. We get the throne room. We get the one reference point for all of life in verses 9 and 10. Jesus seated on the throne, ruling and reigning, and us bringing him the worship that only he is due because he is the one who is Lord of all. That day in which Jesus will make all things new. 
when we won't be separated and feel like we are leaving pieces of ourselves behind. But we'll see together how Jesus was always fitting all the pieces together and bringing peace and wholeness. And our joy will be completely complete in Jesus to the glory of the Father and the unity of our triune God in us as Jesus' bride, as the people of God. You have lived out this kind of vision to me and my family for seven years. It has been a privilege beyond anything that I can say to be one of your pastors. And I know this, I will literally be forever changed for having been with you. I will be forever changed for having been let into your lives. I will be forever changed for how you have loved me and my family and my wife and my kids. And this place will be forever changed because you have been here. Because you have been the people to be the hands and feet of Jesus into a world that is broken and is hurt. And you speak peace and healing and forgiveness. And you've done it for me and you will continue to do it for this place. And I'm so, so proud to have been able to be a small part in that. And I'm so thankful to you all.